It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van All right, we are doing car con carne here. How you doing? I am Dr. Daryl Wilson. Uh, from the Bow Weevils, uh, the Doc Star, as they say, the punk rock doc. I'm here hosting for James Van Ostel. Uh, he let me actually take this over for today, and uh, hopefully he doesn't regret this. And I'm sitting here, well, I'm sitting remotely with my good friend of over 28 years, Joe Principe from Rise Against. Joe, yes, thank you for coming on. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Before we start talking, which we're going to talk about it all, man, we're going to go back and then go forward. We're gonna go back and go forward. Gotta pay the bills first. So gotta pay the bills first. So let me uh, get this uh, promo. As a business owner, as business owners open back up to serve their communities, they're, they're faced with a lot of challenges. As they navigate through the new normal brought on by the coronavirus, CNH Financial Services is here to help. CNH offers a variety of products that range from traditional merchant accounts to a zero cost payment processing solution, which eliminates the expense associated with accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and America Express as a form of customer payment. To learn more, contact CNH Financial Services at 855-600-2437. That's 855-600-2437. Or go to chfs.usa. That's chfs.usa. So this is Carcon Carning. I'm Dr. Daryl Wilson, uh, punk rock doc, hosting for James Van Ossel. Um, I'm sitting here with Joe Principe from Rise Against. Joe, how have yes. you been, my friend? It's been a long I'm, time. We were supposed to have lunch. I know. Like, you think out all the time. What's going on with it, that? It's those damn kids. Exactly. <laughs> I know. So, so we both have this whole thing of being suburban fathers yep. who play in punk rock bands. You being in a punk rock band band and me being in a joke punk rock band. And, and we both have three kids. Yep. And, and the, the funny thing is, think back to when we were, you know, young adults. And I call that loosely young adults back <laughs> in the day. Did you ever think that we'd be having this conversation right now with our three kids during a pandemic oh, at this point? I no mean, way. I mean, the crazy thing is, I go back to the days of thinking of you back when we first met. You wearing your Dinosaur Junior t-shirt um, <laughs> that was purple at the show. I think we were seeing Trench Mouth at the time. And yeah. you, know, you, were, you were Joe Spoonless at that time. So can you, can you tell us about those days, going back, thinking back to your punk rock experiences and you know, some of your first punk rock experiences? Because you talked about a Cro-Mag show that you went to that kind of set this whole thing in motion for you. Can you tell us about that? Um, well, I mean, as far as... I, going back to like my first shows, like when I was going going to see bands, or do you mean playing like an instrument? I think going to shows and then coming in and playing because that all kind of kind of molds together. I think right. It it does, and I, I think it 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 kind of was born like out of the skateboard world. You know, like I I uh, I got into punk rock from my oldest sister Maria when I was I don't know fifth grade or something. And I didn't know it was punk rock. I didn't know it was called that. I just thought, oh, this sounds super silly, but but I love it. There's something about it. Uh, it was like the first Suicidal Tendencies record, Circle Jerks, Wonderful, uh, Dead Kennedys, Plastic Surgery Disasters, um, Bad Religion Suffer. You know, like like it was like late '80s era 
punk or, or mid to late eighties punk. And, um, um, I, then at the same time I got into skateboarding just because I was literally walking down my street around fourth or fifth grade and there was a Veriflex skateboard just sitting there and I stole it. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course, of course you did. Of course. I'm like, I'm like, no one's using that, especially where I grew up in Melrose Park. No one's skateboarding. I'm going to take it. And then Except I, for that kid who's missing the Veriflex board now, who now <laughs> yeah. knows that you stole it. So that's kind of the thing. He, he didn't skate anymore after that. He went to BMX. He was in rad. Yeah, exactly. He was roller skating. <laughs> he was the inline skater, the first one back in the day. Cool dude. <laughs> no, like, that, that path took me down to the, the Thrasher you know, path and trans world skateboarding. And then that opened up a world of skateboarding scenes. And then Thrasher had strange notes, right? So yeah. they would talk about bands and I just started getting more and more into music. And, um, you know, around the same time, like, so you're talking like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade around that time, like every year I would just expand my, my musical, I don't know, uh, library i guess yeah. going to you know record stores having my mom take me to rolling stone records mm -hmm. or peaches or coconuts you know like all those record stores back then and um at the same time i was still skateboarding and because we like three of us in in the town i grew up in you know we were mobile we had skateboards and it, it allowed me to kind of get out of melrose park where i grew up and go to neighboring towns and meet other kids and you network that way. There was no, like, obviously there's no social media back then you right. network just face to face, you know, like that's what you're doing. You're, you're skating the curb. All right, I'm going to skate this curb with you. You know, hopefully you don't beat me up cause I'm in your spot or whatever. Right. Um, and that's, that's kind of how, um, I met this kid, Gary, um, at the fest, the Italian fest that was at my, my in my neighborhood every year. And I hung out with Gary. He lived in a neighboring town. And what happened was we built a mini ramp in his yard. And this is right around freshman year of high school, sophomore year. And there, this, this, one of Gary's friends, Gary was two years older than me. Um, one of his friends would come over named Nick. One day Nick brought his little brother whose name was Dom. And Dom's like, hey, I hear you're into punk rock. And... <laughs> You know, like maybe we could go to shows together and, and maybe you want to try playing bass in, in this band I'm starting. And he's like, I used to play bass, but now I want to play drums and uh, you could borrow my bass. And I was like, yeah, whatever. That's fine. And that was it. I met Dom skateboarding and we started going to as many shows as we could. You know, before we could drive, we'd taken the bus to Medusa's in Chicago and the Vic Theater and... Not even the Metro back then, because you remember the Metro stopped right. having punk shows, right? Yeah. Um, so then it was McGregor's in the suburbs. It was all these clubs, um, you know, without a driver's license. And then at the same time, we started practicing in Dom's mom's garage. And I just kind of figured out without, you know, how to noodle around on the base. And it Is just, that where Spoonless was? Was Spoonless born out of that? So before Spoonless, which is, Spoonless was my second band, Blah was my first band with Dom, B-L-A-H. It was terrible. We tried to be like- It was like, so blah back then, it was so blah. Oh, it was, it was, it was embarrassingly blah. Like it was like, 
misfits kind of creepy like style like horror punk rock and then we did hardcore like seven seconds was a huge influence mm -hmm. and then local bands like screeching weasel and sludgeworth you know like uh, of course naked ray gun right um and we were just terrible but dom and i that band broke up it kind of imploded and dom and i just kind of kept going with it and then we met um the guys that were in that were with us in this band spoonless it was my friend matt on guitar yeah I remember and that. yeah 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 matt um um, Didn't you know, get he, your first tattoo though? Didn't you get that first tattoo? No. So that that was another. That's another sketchy story. Oh, it's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah, not 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 for Matt, but Matt did end up. Be, he became a tattoo artist. Right. Um. So we we just kept playing, and um, the singer of the band Spoonless, his dad actually was a bass player, and he ended up teaching me a lot of things that I didn't know, even how to tune a bass. I didn't really know what I was doing, like how to tune, how to like set the intonation on the neck of the guitar or the bass, I mean. And um, so I learned a lot from this, this dude, Jason's dad. And then we, Spoonless was around for like a year. And then again, things kind of imploded. Matt kind of went off and his group of friends, you know, maybe more of like the party scene. Um, and uh matt this, there was two mats there was matt the guitar player who was one of my best friends who kind of branched off and started tattooing and then there was matt the singer who he just disappeared like i don't know what happened to him like yeah, we just yeah. band broke up matt singer was gone yeah. and then dom and i we met our friend mabel who worked at rolling stone records mabel found mabel mabel knew we were looking for um a singer and guitar player and found the flyer at UIC in Chicago, the college, the university. Cause at this point we like, we were already senior years in high school. Like this went on for like four years. So we, I was already graduating high school, uh, still not really in an established band. And um, Mabel brought this flyer and was like, Hey, here's a flyer, same influences as you guys. They're looking for a drummer and a bass player. Um, call them up. And I did, and it ended up being Dan, who I started 88 Fingers Louie with, right. and this guy Jeff. Jeff ended up being in this band Taylor in Chicago. Um, Jeff didn't work out, like, yeah, again, but we stuck with Dan. And then, sorry if I'm just, I'm just rambling on about this, but the story is kind of like, it's insane how it snowballs and goes and goes and goes. But this is like where everybody starts meeting together because yeah mabel was instrumental with you know us and the bow weevils and bob and then we all yeah. met and we met from going to shows and just being in that same scene because we were all basically all friends from that and a lot of our you know time together as friends was spent not just doing music but eating food half the time that's what we did most oh, of the yeah. time was eating all the time <laughs> so we would eat we'd play music and then we'd eat all the time that was it but but yeah, then the whole thing of you going in and meeting Dan through the flyer and then Dan coming into the scene and then all of us still hanging out and all being friends and the whole thing of 88 getting together is, is still another story that's in itself also pretty amazing. We've, we've heard the story, but hearing it from you too on how that came together, is, it's, you got to tell that story because that's just also a great story. Well, what's crazy, okay, so nothing, nothing up until this point was planned in my life. I didn't, I didn't think about playing an instrument ever. Skateboarding kind of fell into my lap and music, you know, punk rock music fell into my lap and I, it just 
all these things just spoke to me, right? And so it's same with Dom, you know, like, um, so Dom and I were inseparable and, you know, we would hang out literally, literally every day. And um, so we met Dan and Jeff and it, Dan came out to, to Dom's um, house in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And we started jamming. And what happened with the singer Jeff that Dan was kind of partnered with at the time, he just kind of like stopped coming. Like he just lost interest. He ended up starting like a noise rock band called Taylor. Um, <laughs> way different than what we were doing, right? Um, so at the same time, Dom and I were hanging out. We were hanging out with Mabel who worked at Rolling Stones. And Mabel's like, hey, you need to meet my friend Bob. He plays bass. He's in this band called the Bow Evils. And I was like, the Bow Evils? What do they want to be like Screeching Weasel? <laughs> Like, what's this Bowie Balls? <laughs> um, and she gave me the red tape, the demo, and I was I was seriously, like, blown away. I, I, was, I gave all those out, by the way, so that's, you know, I still owe money on that. So thank you. <laughs> I gave those all out. <laughs> oh, that tape duplicating place that we all used, that you guys made the red tapes. So I'll, I'll get to that, because I learned a lot of this from you guys and Ken, especially, and Bob, like, like um, how to manufacture your own tapes and stuff. But um, so I was blown away and then I met Bob and turned out Bob, uh, you know, he was a great bass player. He was better, better than I was at the time. So I would learn stuff from Bob and we, we lived close to each other in, in the burbs. So we would skateboard together. And then he introduced me to all of you guys at some point, maybe it was at a Naked Ray Gun show or I don't recall the first time we met. I think I thought that Trench Moss show that was at um, the, we were all there. And we was were playing, that we played that show and then you guys were there. Like you and El- Dom were El- in the back. Elgin? No, was that-, that was in Chicago. It was at uh, that tea room place. Remember that place? Oh, uh, yeah. I do remember this. Didn't Green Street play and then we played and I think Trenchmouth played. Yes. And it's like, that. that's like, it was all of us like playing and you were in the back. You were wearing that green Dinosaur Junior shirt. You know, I was like, that's the big thing. I'm like, oh, that, you, I, Dinosaur Junior is awesome. It still is awesome. I'm like, there yeah. it is. We used to make fun of that shirt for some other reason. I don't know why. But that uh, you know it. what? I think because I was like, oh, this is kind of like college rock. Like, this isn't punk rock. This wasn't like, like I, maybe I was like a little embarrassed. But yeah, in hindsight, I don't know what, what the fuck I was thinking. It, it right. didn't matter. <laughs> um, it's like freedom rock for you. But I do remember I was intimidated because you guys were like a real band to me. Like you guys were great. Like you, you, you were and still are like a great singer, but you, but being a great singer way back then was kind of rare, you know, like we didn't know, none of us knew what we were doing. You either had it or you didn't and you could sing right away. Um, like just from them asking you to join the bull evils, like, right. They met you at a naked Reagan show, yeah. uh, Bob and Ken. Um, yeah. So um, I was intimidated, and then you have bands like, you know, Trenchmouth playing, and then Green Street, nice guys, but I wasn't a huge fan of Green Street um, at the time. But, um, but yeah, like, I was, I was intimidated, and I remember thinking, like, oh, we need to be, we need to have the drive, like, these guys. These guys are playing, you know, the Metro. I remember you played the show, the show at the Metro, but it was 18 and over. Was that, was that Naked Reagan or like? Oh, was that Naked Reagan show? That was that show. It was like, it's, I think it was, yeah, because it was that, that ninth anniversary Metro show. That and, is insane. And it, like, I think that with the age of everybody, it was like Bob 
shouldn't have been in the show. He shouldn't have been there because it was like, he wasn't <laughs> old enough to really be in the place, but yeah. played. it was, it was amazing. So you play at the top there at the Metro and it's like, yeah, this is awesome. The next thing you know, you're like, Oh, I can't, I, I, we're not playing there. We're playing, you know, the VFW hall, you know, in Elmhurst or, you know, the basement of that church someplace. I mean, that's, that's what we were doing. Everything. But you know, you get that taste and you're like, I want that again. And you start climbing back up. So we did have that drive, that, that whole thing of trying to get back in. And, and there were so few bands back then, in, a, in essence, that we all were kind of climbing together and working yeah. together to, to make the scene work out. And then, of course, the scene kind of split up into factions, and that was the craziest thing, which was, was so ridiculous. Our faction and then their faction, which is kind of the ridiculous story of, of history. So Yeah. Then, so no, it, it, it was it was weird, but that especially seeing your name on the flyer in the Chicago Reader, like the weekly magazine, right? Mm -hmm. Seeing you on the bill with Naked Reagan in my head, I was like, holy shit, these guys that they're huge. They're opening for Naked Reagan, you know, like like I'll never do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's not gonna happen. <laughs> now, now look at you. Now look at you. <laughs> Drive. It's like, but see, that's the thing. I, I, because we were all like just hanging out. It was like, the funny thing is it, it never felt like we were like some big influence some stardom kind of thing. We just wanted to hang out and play music. Yeah. Maybe have dinner with the guys in the band that we were playing with. I mean, that was kind of the big goal then. And, and, and to see that it could grow into something as large as what you've accomplished was something that even I couldn't fathom because my, my brain was always thinking about medicine and what I was going to do with that. Though I'd like I love being in a band and still love playing in a band. And it's one that what I do, yeah. it's something that I knew that for me, that goal outside of that seemed almost unattainable in some sense. And yeah. you had that kind of that hit and it kept going and it kept growing and you grew into that and you, you epitomize that kind of work ethic because you are that success story from, you know, I, I look at my friends around and go, you, you did that, man. You made it to that point where it's like, well, you're up on that stage. You're in front of those crowds. You're doing that stuff. And that's amazing. But you're still, you're still Joe. You're still my friend Joe, which is funny about that. Because <laughs> it's the same stories that we can talk about for 28, 30 years and still laugh about them because we know how funny they are and how oh, genuinely, yeah. you know, silly things. Like that show, we all played Bulls 93 playing at Mojica's um, Laundromat. And you and oh, Don yeah. get assaulted by people with fireworks because the Bulls win. Yeah. That's crazy. It's like you're trying to drive to a show and you get attacked by guys with fireworks while you're driving to the show. That's crazy stuff. And that, that probably was, that show at the laundromat was probably the first time I ever went to like near Southside Chicago, right? Or West, West Chicago or, or that area. You know, like when you're growing up in the suburbs, you know, you're like, at least for me, like maybe I was sheltered and it's like, oh, well, well, don't, don't go to these high crime rate areas. Like, right. and I was like, all right, whatever. Like, I, I want to go see this band play. Like, I'm going to go, I don't care where things are. I was never, I was never intimidated until the fireworks <laughs> were being shot at us. And then, then I was like, oh shit, this is a little scary, but we're doing cool things with this, with the show we're playing at the laundromat. But you had to tell them, who do you like? You like Phoenix, you like bulls, bulls, bulls. <laughs> 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 in your car. It's like, oh, man. 
you almost died, man. You almost got burned. You almost got I mean, burned. it was like it was the start of like near right near riots when the Bulls won. It was like a yeah. riot. Right. Um, <laughs> you were right there in the middle of it. You were there. But, but that show, I, I'm pretty sure it was again, like I remember thinking, um, because that was the first 88 show, correct? Like the, the yeah. laundromat. Yeah. I remember thinking, like, oh shit, like I'm this is pretty nerve-wracking, you know, because I think we played Am I crazy or Apark played too, right? I think so. I thought the like, fighters played too, though. Didn't the fighters play? Yeah, the, the fighters, fighters for sure. Apark maybe headlining, I think. Maybe. Um, but I just remember thinking, like, again, like I, I'm out of my league, especially when you have a band like Apark, who singer Doug Ward, as we, we both know Doug yeah. pretty well, he was so Talented. committed and to his instrument. Know. Talented. So talented. Yeah. I can't, I still can't, I can't play guitar like Doug can. Doug was, he was so gifted. He, he was the only guy, he learned how to play every eight bark song as if like by missing each string to, to plan a string break in a show so he can continue the song. Right. Uh, that's like, called musicianship amazingness. I mean, that's yes. the thing about that. And, and that's the thing, the local kind of, herodom of everybody but everybody was so approachable because you knew the people you could meet them and you could you know see that person talk to them get into their head figure out what was going on and then be like man i wish i was that way too and then you grow yeah. you keep learning new stuff all the time and, and that's what it, it kind of did um it, it created it created the work ethic like because we both saw what these older, our old, older generation bands were doing. I, we saw like Screeching yeah. Weasel come up and they kind of honed their own thing, right? Like they didn't have a manager. It was Ben and John Jughead. Right. And then, you know, Nick and Reagan had their own thing separately. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is kind of like, like gangs, right? But we all like kind of get along. And, and again, like, like, like Nick and Reagan, when we were growing up, like different generation, um, well, for, you know, like they were like a few years older than us, mm -hmm. um, but watching them do what they did, it was so inspiring um, because yeah. they didn't have really, they had college rock radio a little bit. They weren't on like mainstream radio, you know, like it was like. They were huge. Everything about them was spectacle and huge. Yeah. I mean, we, we knew, we, we go to show, that was a, that was an event. It was us all meeting up and all of our friends and all the people that we knew from shows that were all of our friends and, and that we still know lifelong people from, you know, I mean, yeah. think about people that we know from back in the day, like just the characters that we would meet back in the day. You think about, um, God, uh, Kenny chaos, yeah. always going North, <laughs> you know, that, that you meet you, all these people that you run into the characters that existed in that space. Yeah. That were, that were real people that you tell these stories and people go, that person didn't exist. Like, yeah, they did. Oh, and, yes. And, and we got to be a part of that stuff. And we still talk about these things because it was a part of our lives growing up that made us who we are in, in any profession that we chose to do. I mean, you being that guy that became the, the epitome of, hey, I've made it here. And, and, you can, and people can look up to you in, in Chicago music and say, I can be like Joe. You know, Joe has a story. It's like, is anybody's story? It starts off the same way, right? We, we start off just aspiring to kind of play and do something and be on stage and do something. And yeah. who knows how far it can go if you continue to push it. And you did that, which is amazing. Well, and, and the key is right with anything, 
whether you're starting a small business or whether you're in a band like, like we are and building it's baby steps yep. for me, the bar was set low. The bar, like, it's like, Oh, we had a hundred people at our show. That was awesome. Cause it was 50 more than the last one. Right. Or, Hey, we have our first seven inch that, you know, I learned how to press a record because the bull evil guys <laughs> showed us how to get a record pressed. You know, that it's like these, these little goals, like we're, we're met, you know, and, you just, you learn from the people that did it before you. And you, for me, I, I always paid attention because you know, I was like the quiet dude. I was really shy, Yeah. but I was always listening. I always, I always wanted to, to know how other people were getting on shows and like who, like, like, uh, or t even t-shirts getting t-shirts made where to go. Like, like, it's like, or recording a demo. Like, like right. I asked you guys, you're like, go to Chuck Uchida at Attica. Like, you know, like he's the guy from No Empathy and Defoliance, you know, it's like, oh, shit, I'm going to go to that guy. Like he knows what's going on. <laughs> right. And then, and then you learn the hustle because you worked hard. And so because we were like, you know, your big heroes and influences back then, we at least allowed you to come on tour with us. And you were our roadie. Did we <laughs> treat you well as a roadie? I mean, I thought we did treat you pretty well as a roadie because you did a great job of carrying nothing around pushed off your seven inches and sold them to people all the time. That's what it was. It's like, hey, Joe, you selling our stuff? Wait, no, I got some stuff where we got some 88 stuff I'm selling. What? Wait a minute, man. You're supposed to be working the merch booth. What are you doing? <laughs> my side hustle became my main gig on that rabbit tour. <laughs> I know. It's like, what the hell, man? Could you, could you maybe carry some equipment? I'll carry this in. You, you, that's a box of 88 seven inches. What are you doing? Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm going to carry that stuff in too. I'll get it. You're already selling stuff at the table. It's like, wait a minute, are you the bull weevils? No, man, no, here, here we go. You should buy this one too. You're hustle, man. But hustle. the best part about that is we all learned because you guys booked that tour using Book Your Own Fucking Life, you know, Zine, which is part of Maximum Rock and Roll. Yep. And it allowed you guys and it, it allowed me through you guys to meet bands like Face to Face who were coming up. You guys play with face to face in front of literally like ten people at, mm -hmm. at Voodoo Glow Skulls record store, yep. uh, cheap guy music, and then that's how we met Rancid. Right? Yep. We met them through Book Your Own Fucking Life way back, and to this day, like I, I you know, I'm still close with Rancid because we it's like we all come from the same place. We all fucking worked our butts off to get where we are right now, and, right. but it was just learning. It was watching you guys and it's it, like to get to the next show. Like, it's like, Oh, we need to make this much to make it whatever. The next show always ended up being like 800 miles away. It was like, maybe in, in hindsight, it wasn't the best routing, but like, you know, it, it was, we got, we got through it, but we got through it because you guys took that, that leap of faith, right? You guys, yeah. we borrowed Pete's Mittler's van yep. and, and just went. Yes. We I mean, that's the thing. We didn't even think about the dangers of whatever was out there. We just wanted to go. The, the dangers, the, the most dangerous of all that we all still talk about to this day was Montana. When we were in Montana, that was, we, we could have died. We all could have just died. That was no, most. That was pretty scary. Unbelievable. That we got out of that and made it to the next show that we almost still died that night where we're waiting. And through the grace of whatever happened, we made it through all that whole thing. And, and um, those are stories that still live to this day in infamy because they're amazing. I mean, we, I, there's the, the whole thing, 
there's a line that Mittler said. When Mittler says this, he goes, remember, so we leave, you know, we get out of the Nazi town and we drive out of Naziville as we leave that party, which we were like, why did we go? We were dumb. We were dumb. We go and we leave. And then we're driving and we stop in that little town and we're waiting. And then that, that guy with the shotguns is driving around us. And it's like, Pete looks out and goes, you better hide, Daryl. So I hide underneath all the stuff. And he looks at you and goes, Joe, you're a little dark. You hide too. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? <laughs> like, that's the whole thing. It's like, what? And, and we made it out of that, which was crazy. I mean, that, that was some flying by the skin of your pants, you know, life lessons learned that we went on. And, and now you, you don't have to think about those horrible days of touring in, you know, the Econo van and going. It's like you can ride a little stylish. But you worked. And you took baby steps to get to these things. It wasn't like something just appeared in your lap. So sometimes people don't see that. And they think, oh, well, you just appeared and suddenly you got all this, this stuff that you accomplished. Like you accomplished it through the work that you made and these gains you did over time. And I'm, I'm glad yeah. that, you know, we helped you learn how to hustle and make that happen in some sense. You know, it's like, you know, I, I think about that in, in the sense of where, where we all end up. And, you know, we had opportunities presented to us, too, to try and go out there and, and play and continue to do those things. But did I dash those hopes because I was in, you know, medical school? I, I did. I kind of got those things kind of twisted. That was my goal to be a physician. Oh, yeah. And, you know, now I get the opportunity to, you know, still play and, you know, still be a physician as well. I mean, which is the thing that helps out, you know, my, my ability to play. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been those things of growth that we've all had over time. Now, now speaking of growth, you got tattoos, you got the ones. Ta let's talk about that first tattoo that you used to show off all the time. Woody Woodpecker. Let's talk okay. about that. So let me, let me set this story up. 16-year-old <laughs> Joe Principe gets his license. I bring my friend Dominic Vallone. <laughs> Like a week later, after I get my license in hand, we drive to a tattoo shop because we got, we had money from our tax returns from our job. Like I remember we got tax return check money. We're like, let's go get a tattoo. And we were 16, but Dom was 15. So we go to this sketchy place called Classic Tattoo on like kind of, well, it was in Cicero, Illinois, like, which is like, you know, neighbors, Chicago, like West Loop or whatever. And we walk into this sketchy tattoo shop and we're, we're in there for like an hour dilly dallying. We're looking <laughs> at the walls, just kind of like uh, trying to figure out what to get. And the guy goes, well, hey, what do you want? And we're, we got scared. And I pointed to Woody Woodpecker, the flash on the wall. And I go that. And he goes, all right, tell your mom you got this in Wisconsin. And I got Woody Woodpecker as my first tattoo. And Dom, who had, you know, Dom had pretty big arms right for back then and, yeah. and he's he's okay with me saying that what he did he got the tiniest spider tattoo he could find on the wall it was like this big because he wasn't sure how it would feel so he had this big arm and his little spider tattoo just on his arm so we left we left that place and i remember thinking like oh my god what did i just do my life's ruined like like a little tattoo you know it was like that big and I, I hid it from my mom for like a year and then my <laughs> sister my oldest sister ratted me out she's like you know like Joe's got a tattoo by the way like and my mom she kind of was like oh you kids are nuts and then she brushed it off but 
Yeah, that was it was pretty horrific um just being there because this dude was like you know this biker this racist like biker dude uh the the tattoo artist you know at this sketchy place and i was like uh, do i have a disease now because he's just not cleaning his stuff you know like after he's tattooing people or like like you know like i was just scared um and then i <laughs> the, the funny thing about this joe is thinking about your mom reacting to that and you know you know i love your family love your mom and the the thing that you think about now is we as these adult human beings that have grown up who have lived some lives of some and whatever we've, we've done some stupid stuff <laughs> some stupid things we have children and we we have three children each of us have three children and and the things that we have to sometimes impart these stories that we tell that the, the kids look at us in a way and they try to try to figure out what the heck's going on and figure their way through life you know, we're supposed to be the cool parents that would say, oh, that's going to be all cool. Um, I, I mean, my, my kids always talk about, well, when I get a tattoo, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want you to get a tattoo. I, I never got a tattoo out of all those things. Right. Yeah. But Dad, you have hair that grows long and you, you play in a band and you're on, I've seen your videos on YouTube. I'm like, but I'm not famous. I'm not, but you're, you, I'm like, no, you don't do any of that stuff. Just go out and do like, but dad, what about, then I, I can't argue against it because yep. I, I live this life. And so my arguments fall very flat every time. So I just told a story the other day about when I was skating back in the day with, with Eric and those guys, we were skating up at one spot and I, you know, we were getting harassed by somebody who, when we were skating and I happened to get a little angry, I might have had an anger problem sometimes. And then I took my board, I think it was a uh, Reese that I was riding back then. And I took it and oh. smashed the back window of their car. They were driving like their mom's Aerostar or something. I just <laughs> mashed it. I'm like, how dare you talk about me? Tell me to do an Ollie when I want to do an Ollie and call me, whatever. And then smashed the window. And it was like, oh, we got to leave now. So we, we left the spot and everybody got home. And I just went upstairs and laid in my bed thinking the cops are coming to get me. I just laid there, didn't move. <laughs> cops are coming to get me. Just stupid stuff like that. So I told my kids the story and they're going, well, dad, that's completely, you're a complete criminal. <laughs> no, I'm not a criminal. No, that was, that was just boys having fun. That was silly. It yeah. was criminal. I broke that window and I should probably replace their window, but it's, it's been years. I think the statute of limitations ran out on that. So, um, yes. but we, we did do some stupid things skating, you and I. There was a time that we, your car, first of all, was a death trap, by the way. <laughs> that car was like the Flintstones mobile because there was no floorboards in the car. You're driving on the highway and there's no floorboards in your car. So we have to drive with our feet up <laughs> here while we drive down the road. And if the car would stop, we'd just go and run like the Flintstones and start your car. So we go to O'Hare Airport thinking we're going to skate there. And you can yes. complete the story because you were there and it was amazing. First of all, us thinking we're going to skate at the airport on those huge, you know, concrete structures where you're waiting for, for your pickup. Well, yeah. But, and you're like, yeah, let, we'll go skate there. We'll get some pictures, snap some photos and, you know, get in Thrasher magazine. We'll snap some photos, you know, get in there. But well, it, you would, you would think, okay, growing up in like, you know, my my whole family were police officers. Yeah. You would think I would have that 
on my mind, like law enforcement, security, people watching, trespassing, that whole thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's those cement structures at O'Hare. They look like half pipes. Let, let's go skate that. Of course, like it, it's going to be awesome. And then we go to an airport. And of course, we're there negative 30 seconds. And security <laughs> comes out. He's like, nope. What are you doing? But the security guy, right? He's like, he's like, oh, you. I'm still wondering. Like, I'm still trying to remember. Like, did he recognize me? Did he? He took your. He took your ID. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were in the car because we were trying to drive, and we're driving around that circle. Yes. Cops go, takes your ID, and he's like looking at your ID, and he goes, "Hey, you know Petey?" (laughs) Like. Petey? Oh, yeah, yeah, Petey. You're like, yeah, I know Petey. We're talking, having this conversation. I'm sitting there just mouth gaping open, like, what the is going on? I'm like, what is, what is this? But thank God, because he's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Let us go. Just nothing. Just go about your business. Go. Don't skate here, but just go. We're like, <laughs> like okay, guess we're not skating here. We're going to go someplace else. So we go to Lucky Dog and eat hot dogs. That's what we did after that. We went to Lucky Dog, which is crazy. So, and now that's the thing we share. We don't even eat Lucky Dog anymore. I mean, that's what we should share. But I, it's been years now. I've been, what, two and a half years, three years vegetarian now. So thank you, Joe, for, you know, showing me yes. the way. Well, yes. Yeah. And side note. So as we know, our, our friend Dan Steckman, who was in the Eclectics, <laughs> he has Upton's Naturals Company, which is vegan Satan, you know, his companies, they make Satan. They just came out with a vegan hot dog that I, I ate for uh, 4th of July. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty legit. It's pretty good. It's, oh. called, it's literally, it's called Up Dog is the name of the, the, the <laughs> vegan hot dog. So I recommend it to you and everyone else. Nice. I'm going to try that now. And if it's bad, I'm going to yell at you and go, this is no lucky dog. What are you talking about? <laughs> How dare you give me this crap? How dare you? But no, I mean. The, the things that, you know, we, we now have this whole thing of being, you know, adults. We've grown into adulthood. Yeah. We've gone through all these, like, trials and things, and we've played all this time. It, it's, I, I, I remember watching your band play, watching Rise Against play. At a bad religion show, you invited myself and my wife to. We went out. You said, hey, come to the show. I want you to come. Came out. Thank you very much. It was awesome. We're up there. We're sitting in the balcony watching you guys play. And, and it's interesting because bad religion opened for you guys and you know yeah. one of my favorite bands is, is bad religion you know yes descendants and, and all those things so you know my favorite bands and you get me there and i'm watching bad religion play and then you guys come out and you play and i've never told you this story i'm going to tell it to you right now this is the first time i'm telling you this story okay i was watching you guys play and at that moment and this is no Smoke up your ass, I swear. You know, I'll tell you straight up if you're fronting some bullshit. I'll tell you. You know I will. (laughs) I watched you guys transform into a bunch of superstars. That show, that was the thing. And I watched it. And seriously, as you guys were playing, the the vibe, the whole way the room changed while you guys were playing was palpable. And I looked over at Joanna and I said, they just became superstars right now. I just watched them do that. I watched my friends become superstars. And I was proud of you. I was happy for, I was like, that was amazing. 
And I told you after that, I said, you guys played a great show, blah, blah. Then I got kicked out of the place. Like, where are you at, man? I'm like, I got kicked out. <laughs> you come back in, like, I'm already kicked out. I can't get back in. I don't know Petey. I can't get back into the place. <laughs> so, but it was an amazing transformation in, in knowing you. But see, like I said, knowing you from Spoonless days mm-hmm. and seeing that growth and then seeing that show and then seeing you go from this to this. And I have to say, congratulations on that because you worked hard Thanks. and put in all the work to do that, man. And, and it showed and it showed. And I, and I was going to say, I've never told you that story until right now. And that's an amazing feat. And I, and I appreciate it. I, I, I was like, man, I, I, I was just flabbergasted and blown away, blown away. Well, that, that, that means a lot coming from me. Cause it, in my head, you, like I said, for, for me personally, I set these, little goals right and even to this day i still do the same thing with like if i write a song or whatever it's like okay like i'm i'm happy with that if no one likes this song at least i like it (laughs) and and, but so like the what rise against has become one so fortunate that we have what we have and we have amazing fans and just like-minded people, you know, like it, it gives me hope. Like when we interact with our fans, like, okay, there's some, there's still people out there that have their, their good, a good head on their shoulders. They're not going to fuck up this world, you know, like yeah. certain people in office. And um, it, it, it's, it's amazing. But for me, it, it's like, I'm still that kid who, who is critiquing myself hanging out in the back of the room not talking to people like i'm still that guy in my head like so it's it's almost like it like it's it's just like it's surreal it's a it's like a, a very strange feeling for for me and i just think you know like it's like none of us were raised to have that rock star ego and i mean none of us i mean all the members of rise against but even you guys and and you know rancid and and it's like these are the places what we or we all came from the same place right so we didn't hold bands up on you know these pedestals it was like we're doing it for ourselves i think that's why we stayed grounded um you know as rise against and and even when we were coming up or you know the even bad religion it's like everyone loves what they do and when i mean everyone i mean all the bands that we play with yeah and, and so there's there's just no there's no ego i think when people have things just kind of spoon fed to them or or when they don't have to work for something they they don't they just it just doesn't have the same meaning to, to me like maybe maybe they could speak differently about it but i you know i think i think when you have that that the work to show for it all those van tours that we did mm-hmm. um you know like 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 I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm still the kid touring in a, in a van, like in my head. It's weird. Like I just, I just don't think about it in in rock star terms or or not rock star. You know what right. I mean? Right, right. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm, well, I don't get what you're saying because I mean, I I don't have that same level of stardom. I mean, I'm a superstar in the you know the medicine world, but I mean, I don't have the same kind of pull as you. <laughs> but the reality is, though, you know, it, it is the idea of the work that you put in. And because you did that, it's like, it, 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 it tastes that much sweeter, but you also look at it and go, but yeah, I'm still working. You're, you're not stopping that work, right? It, it's not like you suddenly just rest on your laurels and go, that's it. 
So, I mean, are you working on new stuff right now? I mean, this, this has got to be inspiring to write new stuff right now, right? I mean, I, I'm trying to write some stuff and I know you got to be writing some stuff right now. So, so yeah, I, I cannot confirm nor deny that we, we've been working on new music. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I mean, there's enough, enough time has gone by where uh, I would assume our, our, our fans know, like, something's, something's coming. But the thing is, it's, you know, we're trying to figure out with the pandemic what what does releasing a record look like now or, or yeah. when should we do it or you know so we're just kind of taking our time and, and um making sure we do it we do it right because we want to release something and also have the ability to play these songs live right so you know as you know it, uh, they're saying like bands can't play until there's a vaccine right right in so in in the traditional sense of playing a show right Right. It, it, it's the matter of, you know, how, how do, because music, live music is a social experiment and it's a social experience. You know, you have to be in a, a proximity to other people sharing in this shared experience of individuals performing live in front of you. Yeah. And that live performance is super important to, to you. That's, that's your livelihood. That's what you do. That's your, that's your day and that's your clock in clock out. Mm -hmm. And you know, to, to do that, it's, it's, it, it's, it's hard, it's impossible to do with the ability for this disease process and the way that it spreads. And, you know, in, in dealing with that, from my perspective, you know, not only from the idea of trying to play live music, but also dealing with those individuals that have unfortunately been affected by the illness. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a hard thing. And, and, and seeing people that we all know that, that have helped us to, continue to play music and, and have helped us in our, our lives of our social sphere of people that we hang out with all the live venues that we know, all the people that we know that own live venues and other smaller venues that we, we would frequent and go to. It's, it, it makes my head explode thinking about what, what, what's happening with that. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, I put the save our spaces, you know, on for people to donate to. So go to the website and do that if you can. Yes. Um, but it, it's, it's really a, you know, yeah, you look at kind of the hierarchy of needs of things and people start to look at, well, we need to make sure that, you know, we have, you know, water and, and food and, you know, sanitation, all those basic needs that human beings need to survive. Yeah. But then once you're surviving, what makes you live? And a part of that is the experiences that we share with art and those other things. And how do we get back to those things as well? And, and it's all going to be changing over time. And, and I mean, speaking of all this pandemic, so how's your family doing? How are you guys doing with this? So uh, my kids are pretty, pretty resilient that like they, I think the e-learning thing with school, like that was a little difficult because that was like such a major shift, right? Like um, the schools, at least where, where I live, um, it was like the start of spring break and they're like, Oh, or no, they got out a week early. Like, they're like, we're going to break early for spring break, come back at this date. And then obviously it just kept getting yep. delayed. And then it was like, all right, no more school this year. So I think my kids then were like a little freaked out. And, um, yeah. you know, my six year old doing e-learning with a six year old, you could only have their attention so long and we're mom and dad, right? Like they don't, they don't want to sit for us. Right. Like, like, you know, they're just like basically F off mom and dad. Like I want to go 
do this. Or I'm going to go pet the dog or, you know, like there's too many distractions at home too. Right. Like they have all their toys. Yeah. So, um, we kind of gotten a little bit of like a routine after like a month or so. And then the last two weeks of e-learning, it was like, that's it. It was done. You know, like, I think they were all pretty checked out. I mean, you're, when you're a kid that age, you're already checked out of school two weeks around that time. Cause you know, summer break is coming. Right. Right. So, and those last little things are like, you know, the alphabet till the end of school, which we kind of did. That. Yeah. I mean, I mean, our six year old was actually probably the best of the three really learning. She was pretty on point, sat down, got the work done, was done by, you know, 11 and was like, okay, what's the next thing? I want to get on the iPad. I want to do some other stuff. I got an agenda. I got things to do. Can you get me going? And I was like, okay. And she was really good about getting it done. The other two, the twins, boy, it was, it was like, man, you, you had to check. Like, are you doing that? Oh, I did it. And it's like, that's, Really, two sentences? What are you talking about? You did it. Yeah. I started that. You're supposed to be two pages in. What are you doing? Ah! It was just that. So every day. To, every day, right. And so, so getting them to do it, they, they would do it over time, realizing if you just get this done, you have the rest of the day. Let's, let's go. And they, they started doing it. Um, but it was sometimes just, man. And then they'd get into other, other stuff that they try to do that's not, it's like, but they were pretty much done. You know, they had all their things done. They were already basically ready for third grade and, you know, ready for first grade. So it was kind of easy to deal with it at the end of the year. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to think about how it's going to be, you know, if it's a beginning of the year and it goes on, who knows? We, who knows? <laughs> we'll see what happens. It's, it's, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Uh, um, I see some people um, have said some things. Uh, Dennis Buckley says, uh, fucking survive is what he says. So we had a, you know, survive in that point, you know, going back into the pit back in the day. <clears throat> Larry, Larry says, hello. He says, hi. Hello, um, Larry. Giovanna says, love to see that you remain humble. Hard work always pays off, which is good. You have stayed humble. Um, Remy says, this might be the only way anyone would see Joe on Facebook. This is very true. <laughs> um, a lot of people have said hi out there. Um, you know, Joe, what's up, gents? Mike says, hey, Joe. Andrea says, hey, Daryl. Shannon says, hey, Daryl. They're not talking to you, Joe. Um, JP says, hey, <laughs> Doc and Joe. Jillian from Hi-Ho says, bring a smile to my face, my dude. So we're there. Jillian says, yes. so we're, we're up there. We're in there. Hello, um, Jillian. So, so, yeah, I mean, th th Joe, I mean, th this is, let me tell you. We, you're, you're one of my good friends. You've been friends forever. You know, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure all the time, I mean, to, to talk to you. Um, you know, we were supposed to have that lunch, but our place closed, you know, that place closed to go to, which is crazy. Wait, it, the sushi place? No, that place is still open. Oh, okay. But the pizza place is that's pizza gone. place. Yes. Yeah, okay. That's gone. That got that yanked. That got yanked. Um, but I mean, I have to say, I, I, I'm glad you came on to do this. I mean, we could talk forever. I, I know we could, um, you know, we got to let people get, cause your kids are probably yammering on your, your wife probably needs you for something and it's all that stuff. We could <laughs> talk forever. You know, we could talk about more things. But uh, I just want to say thank you for coming on to this and doing this and helping oh, me do you. my first hosting of this thing. Um, I'm usually a better, you know, uh, guest than a host, I'm guessing. But we'll see how that all went over when people start bitching about it. Um, if you do, I'll come find you and fight you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, thank you, Joe. Um, anything, you, any last words you want to say to the people out there? Um, for, for everybody who's just tuning in, listening, like I said, you know, this is Car Con Carne. I'm hosting for James Van Ossel right now. I'm Daryl Wilson, Bo Weevils, 
punk rock doc, all those things with Joe Principe. I didn't say that enough on this show. Um, anything you want to say to them, Joe? Um, no, just thanks for sticking by us for so many years, like all our fans. And, uh, you know, we just, like everyone, we, we really miss having the live interaction with people. And, you know, even if it's even going to like a movie, like I didn't realize these, I mean, you realize all the things you take for granted, obviously when you can't do them, the littlest things. And for me, it was like, I remember thinking like, like grumbling, right? Going to a show. Like, I don't want to go to the Metro. Like it's too far. I don't want to deal with parking. I would kill to see a show at the Metro right now. Um, So I cannot, when, when we are allowed to do so, like I will be out way more than I have in the past and that's, you know, sit on my butt on the couch, you know, and just be lazy. But, 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 I mean, so anyway, I'm looking forward to, to that. But, but the thing is though, it's hard though, right? I mean, you, you're, the, the, your job is you tour, you do those things. And when you have your free time, your free time is spent with your family when you get the opportunity to do that. And so yeah. that's, that's one of those things you have to balance in, which is that juggling act that you have to kind of put in play when you're playing in a band and you do that. I mean, I, I do it only, on the occasion that we get to go and <clears throat> play shows out and play when we go off and play someplace else, that's really still hard to manage all that stuff, you know, to try and, you know, come back and, and, and be there at home and, and, and make sure that you're present in the moment of everything that's happening. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard. And when you're gone for a long time and you come back, you got to kind of reestablish that stuff. And that's important. So a lot of times when it's like you're in town, I know you're in, I don't call you because I know, that's your family time, man. And that's the thing. I might be your friend, but you know what? That's your family time. When you get a chance to hang out, that's cool. If we just talk on the phone, that's cool. If I just send you a stupid text, that's cool. Yeah. But when I get a chance to do this, at least hang out for a little bit, I, I enjoy it. I appreciate it. It's, I cherish it because, hey, man, I know you from the Spoonless days and the Flintstone car days, and you're still one of my buddies, and I <laughs> laugh about it all the time. I will always laugh. Even if you try to ever become less humble, I will bring you back to those days and go, I remember those days. And you'll go, oh, yes. Oh, yes. It, it, there it is. There it is. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, those, those memories are, are super important to me. So like they, that's how we were, that's, that's, those memories make up who we are today. I mean, basically. Mm-hmm. I remember when you were the first one to get a real, wait, sorry, to, this is the last story. You were the first one to get a real car. You got. You were able to get a, the Toyota Tercel, and you got stuck on the tracks by the L. I think by Wrigley side, you were st- your wheels were off the ground because you just were on like a railroad a railroad tie or something. And I was like thinking, I, I, to me that was the funniest thing. I was trying to push your car off this. Like we did push it off because like Ken was hitting it or something. And it yeah. got moved and it got dented. And I'm yes. like, oh, man. But it was off the tracks after that. It's like, who the hell drives their car? One, you got six foot four me climbing into the Tercel like a clown car. You know, <laughs> it's like, what the hell is that? And it's just like stupid. And it was, and it was a four-speed, you know, manual. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like just going down, going to, going into fourth. Oh, we're going like, you know, 40 miles per hour at that time. It's so ridiculous. Why? Like, well, they're just, there was just like an, an, a, a loose rail, like a track under and just laying there, right? I don't, right. And I hit it. And, and, how, and why the hell did I drive over it? I don't. 
<laughs> you misjudged how high it was for sure. <laughs> done it's like and the funny thing is i think we didn't do anything about it because we went to a show we yeah and we went to the show and just hung out then came out of the show we're like oh we got to move the car it's it won't go anywhere i'm stuck tires is like just dumb just like what a bunch of idiots like what the hell are they doing it's like and people probably just walking by looking at all of us trying to push this car off of one tile one 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 railroad tie just one. Just, so those, are, those are teaching moments. Yes, I learned at that point, don't get a clown car. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Let's get that lunch if we need to. We'll, we'll yep. find some place to go. Get a grilled okay. cheese or something. Um, and I love you, brother. Really do. Love you, too. My man. Um, say hi to your mom. Say yes. hi to everybody. Um, but yeah, this is Car Con Carney. This is uh, me hosting uh, Daryl Wilson, hosting for James Van Ossel, Dr. Daryl Wilson, Bull Weevils. Um, I was here with Joe Principe, and we were signing off. So we appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot for letting me do this. See you guys next time. Thanks.